December 1993, Sega headquarters, Tokyo. Sega president Hayao Nakayama is in his office reading a memo outlining what Sega knows about what is becoming its main rival, the PlayStation console. As he reads the specs, anger boils up in him. The console's got advanced 3D graphics and visual power unimaginable in a home console just a year earlier. Nakayama is a college dropout who became a millionaire in the gaming business, and he doesn't even play video games. But he's hyper-competitive. He's been obsessed for years with beating Nintendo. But as he reads on, he feels the hot breath of a greater business threat on his neck. Seething, Nakayama hits the intercom connecting him to his secretary. He barks his order to her. Tell the entire console engineering team to go to the R&D meeting room immediately. If they're in meetings, get them out of those meetings. For years, Sega's lived in Nintendo's shadow. But in the early 1990s, Sega fought back with its Genesis console and eye-catching games, such as Sonic the Hedgehog, where players help a spiky blue creature stop a mad scientist's evil plan. The Sega Genesis game system now comes with Sonic the Hedgehog, all for an everyday low price of $149.99. To the industry's shock, Sega did what everyone thought impossible. It broke Nintendo's stranglehold on the U.S. video game industry. After Sega's assault, Nintendo's share of the market tumbled from 90 to 55% in just two years. Now, Nakayama wants to put a stake through Nintendo with its new console, the Sega Saturn. But it looks like Sony and its damned PlayStation may threaten everything he's spent years building. As Nakayama enters the meeting room, about 40 engineers who developed Sega's Saturn video game console wait nervously. Usually, Nakayama's face is unreadable, but today, he's clearly enraged. His brown eyes glowering beneath his comb-over. Nakayama lets it rip. I've just seen what PlayStation can do, and by comparison, the Saturn just can't compete. We can't release what you have made. You've got to give me a console that can match PlayStation 3D power, or Sony will absolutely destroy us. Listen, you've got a year. Actually, less, before we launch the Saturn. So let's get back to work and fix this mess, fast. If Sony wants a war, let's give them one they wish they never started. Enjoy a powerful business upgrade with Dell Technologies' Black Friday in July event. Get amazing savings with up to 50% off high-performance computers and tech built for business. And be able to take your office with you with Windows 10 Pro. Plus, get great offers on Dell servers, monitors, docks, and more, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Call 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. And speak with a Dell Technologies advisor today. Louisiana has unmistakably unique culture, world-class cuisine, and the nation's top-ranked workforce development program. This incredible state's business environment is powerful, rich, and diverse. It's the gateway to 38 states and the world with a port system delivering the most domestic cargo in the U.S. It's also where NASA and higher ed partners build rockets that will transport the first women to the moon. Discover Louisiana's investment resources at OpportunityLouisiana.com to learn how your company can gain a competitive advantage in Louisiana. From Wondery, 
This is Business Wars. I'm David Brown. You're listening to Episode 4 of our six-part series on Nintendo vs. Sony. It's game time. It's November 22nd, 1994. Less than two weeks before the PlayStation is finally set to arrive in Japanese stores, and Sony Computer Entertainment is a hive of activity. In the last episode, the PlayStation development team finally got the games industry on board after months of courting it. Now... The team is prepping for the moment of truth, the launch of the PlayStation. The Tokyo team is working around the clock. There's barely time to sleep, let alone wash. A sour body odor hangs in the air. Ken Kutaragi, the father of the PlayStation, rushes from meeting to meeting to make sure the PlayStation will have a smooth journey from Sony's factories to the nation's stores. But midway through strategy sessions, a colleague bursts into the room. Kutaragi, it's here! Everyone freezes in mid-motion. Kutaragi leaps from his chair and hurries after the colleague. A crowd gathers around a spare desk in the middle of the office. Kutaragi pushes his way to the front. On the desk, he sees what everyone has been waiting all morning to see. No, it's not the Sony PlayStation, but a Sega Saturn. The console is still in its box, freshly purchased from a nearby electronics store. The Saturn went on sale in Japan just hours earlier, and it's already selling fast. While Sega's former console, the Genesis, was a breakthrough success in North America and Europe, Japan snubbed it. This time, however, things are very different. Across Japan, video game fans are lining up to get their hands on Sega's hot new console. And on that console is a game called Virtua Fighter. A year ago, Virtua Fighter was the hottest game in the arcades, a landmark step in video games' evolution from 2D to 3D graphics. Its large animated 3D fighters looked like nothing game players had ever seen before. The super-ripped fighters moved fast and with the grace of real-life martial artists. Panic flickers through the Sony team like electricity. In less than a year, Sega developed a console that can process 3D graphics twice as fast as the PlayStation. The Saturn is the bleeding edge of the amusement arcades transported into the home console. Sony employees exchange what-now glances. Then all eyes turn to Kutaragi. Well, what are we waiting for? Let's get that thing open and see what's inside. Kutaragi unplugs the Saturn and flips it on its back. He reaches into his pocket pulls out a thin screwdriver, and starts unscrewing the plastic casing holding the console together. Then the engineers unplug ribbon cables, disconnect the power supply, and remove the metal plate covering the main circuit board. The dissected Sega Saturn lays before them, and now the Sony team sees what Sega did in its rush to catch up with the PlayStation. And it's not pretty. The main circuit board is crammed with dozens of microchips and microprocessors, Kutaragi leans in a little closer. Whoa, 
That's a lot of components. How many are microprocessors? The engineer does a quick count. One, two, three, no, four. Kutaragi nods. Well, that explains the 3D capabilities, but four processors? That's a programmer's worst nightmare. Getting all four to work in sync must have been a real challenge. Sega's engineers may have created a console capable of outpacing the PlayStation, but Kutaragi knows the way it's constructed could cost Sega dearly. Uh, what a mess. All these chips, all these cables. That's got to be hard to manufacture. With a design like this, there's just not much room for Sega to cut its manufacturing costs. Kutaragi went to great lengths to ensure the PlayStation would be easy to mass-produce. And critical to that was condensing almost everything into a single microprocessor. That was hard to do, and costly. But the relative simplicity of PlayStation's design could mean a big payoff down the line. The more PlayStations Sony produces, the lower the manufacturing cost per unit. By contrast, the Saturn's quick-fix but complex design means Sega can't cut costs by very much. Kutaragi turns to his team and smiles. <laughs> well, at least we know we've got the cost advantage over Sega. That's very good news. Anyway, fun as this has been, it's time we all got back to work. Less than 12 days until the PlayStation is on sale. Let's go. The engineers hurry back to work. They leave the Sega Saturn laying there like some disemboweled mechanical animal. December 2nd, 1994, the night before PlayStation launch day in Japan. Nicknamed Electric Town, Akihabara is the hub of Tokyo's geek scene, a hotbed of electronics retailers, amusement arcades, and manga comic stores. In the middle of all this is Lox, a seven-story wonderland of electronics, video games, action figures, and more. It's closed for the night now, but outside, a line is already forming. The first person arrives at 8 p.m. Soon, others join him. They spend a sleepless night camped outside the store, patiently waiting under the bright lights of Akihabara. As the sun rises over Tokyo, the line outside Laox keeps swelling. And when the store finally opens, hundreds eagerly burst through the doors. The PlayStation hype has been building for months. The media runs story after story about the imminent showdown between PlayStation and the Saturn consoles. Prodded by Sony's PR team, these stories build the impression that Sony is a serious force in video games, rather than the untested newcomer it really is. Magazine and newspaper advertisements boldly declare Sony will sell a million PlayStations. Sony is splurging on TV advertising, too. Brief glimpses of impressive PlayStation games like Namco Zippy 3D driving game Ridge Racer. Strange ads also appear. One features uniformed workers in grim offices banging their desks in unison and demanding Sony's new console. Kutaragi shows up at the department store that morning. He watches as happy, frenzied shoppers grab PlayStation consoles and rush to cashiers. He finds it thrilling. To savor the moment, he pulls out a camera. Dressed in a PlayStation sweatshirt, he wanders the district grinning as he takes one photo after another. 
He snapped shots of PlayStation converts lined up. Store shelves lined with PlayStations in boxes. Smiling customers emerging from stores carrying their new Sony consoles. By noon, every store in Japan has run out of PlayStations. The PlayStation's debut is a resounding success. A product so instantly popular that there aren't enough PlayStations to meet demand. Tired and exhausted, the Sony Computer Entertainment team finally gets a good night's sleep and the chance to shower. Where's my order? Where's my order? Where's my order? Break free from customer support monotony. Welcome to Intercom for Customer Support, the business messenger that uses chatbots, shared inboxes, apps, and more. Intercom's business messenger resolves questions that can be answered automatically, so customer support feels less like Groundhog Day and more like help is on the way. Go to intercom.com support to learn more about Intercom's business messenger for customer support. Birthdays, holidays, promotions, getting that last sprinkle donut. There's a lot in this world worth celebrating, but nothing is worth celebrating more than knowledge, especially knowledge that will pay off. Like understanding how compound interest works, knowing how to check your investment professional's background, or figuring out your risk tolerance, or finally understanding all those terms your friends keep throwing around like ETF, ESG, and ICO. Go to Investor.gov today to learn about these investment products and more. How much do you already know about investing? Find out by putting your financial knowledge to the test with their new investment quiz. Investor.gov is your unbiased resource for valuable investment information, tools, and tips. Before you invest, Investor.gov. It's a cold January morning in Tokyo. Kutaragi arrives in good spirits at Sony and finds the Christmas sales reports on his desk. With a sense of happy anticipation, he flips through the document. But the numbers alarm him. Sega's Saturn is outselling the Sony PlayStation. And not just because the Saturn launched two weeks earlier. The gap between the two consoles is small, but it's, it's big enough to matter. Each week, more people are buying Saturns than PlayStations. Slowly but surely, Sega is widening its lead. If this continues, Sega will wind up firmly ahead of Sony. Kutaragi knows Sony must close this gap, and fast. If Sony can't beat Sega now, it's going to get crushed when Nintendo finally enters the console race. Kutaragi summons the management team to figure out how to fight back against the Saturn. One of the executives in the room offers up a suggestion. We need to spend more promoting the PlayStation. Sony can afford it. It's an option, but we're already outspending Sega on marketing. Then... Someone else on the team brings up the Saturn's complicated design. We know the Saturn's hard to manufacture and Sega has practically no way to cut its manufacturing costs. Why don't we start a price war with them? Sony always planned to ignite a console price war. That's why the PlayStation's design baked in ways to maximize the savings from economies of scale. But Sony didn't plan to do it this fast. Kutaragi weighs the pros and the cons. A price war is going to be expensive, really expensive. We haven't banked on reducing the cost of the PlayStation quite so soon. If we wait, we'll have time to trim our manufacturing costs to pay for the price cuts. But then again, 
A price war is going to hurt Sega more than us. He instructs his team to crunch the numbers. The numbers look good. Sony can take the hit. Everyone in the room agrees. It's time to squeeze Sega. In June 1995, Sony's price war begins. Sony lops $100 off the cost of a new PlayStation, bringing the price down to $299. On hearing the news, Sega's president Nakayama fumes. Now Sega has to follow suit if it wants to stay in the race for video game dominance, and so he orders his company to slash the Saturn's price to $299. As the months go by, Sony keeps trimming the cost of the PlayStation. Just slivers, really. But it's enough to force Sega to do the same. At first, the price cuts make little difference. But by the fall, the losses have piled up. Step by step, Sony lures Sega towards the rocks. With each price cut, Sega bleeds a little bit more with each console it sells. Sony is feeling the pain just as the war between Sega and Sony goes global. It's May 11th, 1995, and the annual E3 Video Game Expo is underway. Thousands of people from the games industry are here networking their way around the Los Angeles Convention Center. But everyone's talking about the same thing, the coming U.S. showdown between Sony and Sega. They can smell it in the air. The PlayStation and Sega Saturn are expected to arrive in U.S. stores before the year is out. Industry savants know Sony and Sega will use their E3 press summits later today to announce their official launch dates for their next-generation consoles. But what they don't know is that both companies have secret plans to get the jump on the other. Sega's press event is first up. On the stage is Tom Kalinske, the head of Sega of America, an outwardly unflappable executive with a penchant for garishly colored neckties. Kalinske is already a legend in the toy and games industry. He's the man who rescued the floundering Barbie during his time at Mattel. And he's the guy who, against the odds, made the Sega Genesis console that sold millions in America. Today, Kalinske is out to derail the PlayStation before it even reaches U.S. shores. After some build-up, Kalinske delivers the announcement everybody in the room is waiting for. I'm pleased to announce that our new console, the Sega Saturn, will be on sale in the United States from... Kalinske pauses, holding the crowd on the edge of their seats for a moment. From right now. Yes, You heard that right. The Sega Saturn is on sale right now in selected chain stores across the country for $399. Everyone is surprised, including the retailers who would be selling the Saturn. As he walks off the stage smiling confidently, he says to himself, Beat that, Sony. Countering Sega's strike falls to Olaf Olafsson a tall, young, Icelandic Sony America executive and part-time novelist. If the Saturn's surprise launch has unnerved him, well, he doesn't show it. He bounds onto the stage and sets out Sony's stall as the new kid on the video game block. Then, 20 minutes into his talk, Olafsson makes a surprise move. He invites Steve Race, the U.S. PlayStation boss, onto the stage. 
Race gets up from his seat in the front row and ambles onto the stage. In his hands is a thick wad of papers. The crowd braces for a long speech. Race heads to the podium, leans into the microphone, and says flatly, 299. There's a nanosecond of confusion, maybe, maybe disbelief. And then, the crowd explodes, whooping, cheering, and clapping furiously as Race immediately walks off the stage. A grinning Olafsson returns to the microphone. In case any of you missed that, the PlayStation will cost $299 when it arrives in stores nationwide on September 9th. At the back of the hall, Kalinsky watches, aghast. Sony stole his thunder by undercutting the Saturn by $100. Sure, he knew Sony would start a price war in the U.S. just as it did in Japan, but from day one? Sega never expected that Sony would sacrifice the revenue it could make from the early adopters who would rather pay more than miss out on the latest games console, but Sony didn't care. It wanted market share. There's more bad news for Kalinske as he leaves Sony's press event. He didn't tell the retailers about Saturn's surprise launch, and they're not just ticked off. They're on a warpath. A buyer from KB Toys spots Kalinske and storms over to him. You left us out of Saturn's launch? We're the number two toy chain in America. What the hell? Well, now, see, I I have a plan. Actually, no. Don't give me your excuses. There's no way we'll be stocking the Saturn in our stores now. Game publishers are furious, too. Their plans to release games to coincide with the U.S. launch of Saturn are now in tatters, and the publishers and retailers are critical third parties to Sega's success. It took Sega years to build trust with retailers and game makers, but now, in just a matter of hours, it had blown it. From the sidelines of the Sony-Sega fight, Nintendo watches quietly. Despite huge interest, Nintendo is staying tight-lipped about its next console, the mysterious Nintendo 64. All Nintendo will say is that its new console will be out next year, and it's worth waiting for. In the months that follow, Saturn struggles. Stores have offered it limited shelf space, and most gamers are happy to wait for Sony's cheaper console. Sega doesn't want to make a price cut yet, and it tries to hold its nerve, but sales are dismal. By October, less than six months after the unveiling of Saturn, Sega knows it has no choice. The company slashes the price of the Saturn to, yes, $299. But by then, Sony is on a roll. The PlayStation is all over TV. Sony is spending millions on stylish, attention-grabbing commercials to win over Generation Xers raised on Nintendo and MTV. Its TV spots are a barrage of action cuts, hidden cheat codes for games, and voiceovers daring players to take on the challenges PlayStation games offer. By Christmas, the PlayStation is outselling the Saturn 2 to 1 in America. And it's the same story in Europe, where Sony is pushing the PlayStation's Generation X appeal even further. Key to the European marketing campaign 
is Wipeout, a high-speed racing game with a thumping techno soundtrack. With Wipeout, Sony is plugging the PlayStation into Europe's thriving club scene. In the hottest nightclubs, Sony publicists install PlayStation demo pods to entertain those taking a break from the dance floor. At music festivals, the company gives away PlayStation-branded perforated postcards. The cards make ideal roaches for cannabis joints. Sony's publicists claim they're for disposing of chewing gum, but few buy that explanation. Chewing gum is one thing, but then Sony Europe tries to publish a magazine ad that shows a young couple with severe nosebleeds, supposedly the effect of playing the exciting Wipeout. But magazines refuse the ad, saying it looks like they've overdosed on drugs. And as PlayStation's edgy marketing makes headlines, Sega's Saturn is ignored. Back in Japan, Sega is hemorrhaging cash as it attempts to match Sony's price cuts. By early 1998, Sega is mortally wounded, having lost hundreds of millions of dollars in the past year. But Sony knows its clash with Sega is merely the warm-up. A far deadlier enemy lies in wait. An enemy with a multi-billion dollar war chest. An enemy with years of experience. An enemy that has bested Sony before. And it's been preparing for combat since Sony first betrayed it. From Wondery, this is Business Wars. We certainly hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. Just tap or swipe over the cover art. You'll also see some offers from our sponsors, and we hope you'll support our show by supporting them. If you like what you've heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Another way to support us is by answering a short survey at wondery.com survey and tell us what business war stories you'd like to hear. A quick note about the conversations you've been hearing. We can't know exactly what was said, but this dialogue is based on our best research. I'm your host, David Brown. Tristan Donovan wrote this story. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Produced by Emily Frost. Sound designed by Kyle Randall. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer Beckman and Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez for Wondery. Hi, I'm Brooke. And I'm Arisha. And we're the hosts of Even the Rich. So I want you to imagine you're about to go on stage and perform in front of 30,000 cheering fans. You pop a cough drop, take some deep breaths, tell yourself, you can do this. And that's when your brother steps into your dressing room. He tells you the police are here. Either you clean up your act or you'll get arrested. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But you just laugh and say, good. Because the you in this story is Madonna. You're going to give the police a moment they'll never forget. Ooh, so what happens next? If you want to find out, you'll have to listen to the newest season of Even the Rich, The Making of Madonna. Follow on Amazon Music, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen ad-free.